0: You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space with your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Trademarks Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the Private Label Lawyer. I am also the founder of the Private Label Law Boutique. We help our clients create long-term wealth with their private label products by guiding them through the complexities of the legal landscape so they can grow their private label businesses securely and confidently on a daily basis. I'm also a trademark attorney and brand name creation strategist. And trademark law is really my primary area of practice and what I really love doing every single day. So one question that I recently received is whether I can register a phantom trademark. And this means a trademark that has one specific clear element and then sort of like a blank space for other elements. It's sort of a fluid type of trademark. And people like to do these or think about these because what they're trying to do is get a lot of protections for just one trademark filing. So of course the USPTO or the United States Patent and Trademark Office really continues to grace us with its clarity on what actually constitutes a phantom trademark. That effect is only slightly less scary than the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. So the Trademark Manual of Examining Procedure, or the TMEP, is basically my trademark Bible. And in that TMEP, it states that a phantom element is a word, alphanumeric designation, or other component that is subject to change as part of a mark, and hence that phantom element of the trademark. And the most common examples you'll see include a date, a location, or even a model number that's subject to change. So generally, a trademark that contains a changeable characteristic will be refused registration because the mark, in essence, is actually multiple trademarks. And logically, this makes sense. It isn't fair to all you trademark warriors out there Fighting to register a single word mark or design. However, the USPTO does allow certain trademarks with these phantom elements to register if the element is limited in possible variations such that adequate notice is given to allow an effective section 2D, that is likelihood of confusion, search. And this is a search that every trademark application is subject to at the USPTO when it's filed. So clearly this leaves some room for interpretation and that my friends demonstrates why lawyers exist. So if you are considering whether to include one of these poltergeist elements in your trademark or have been issued a phantom mark refusal, who are you gonna call? Sorry, I had to do that. It's almost Halloween, right? The craziest American holiday ever. So the following tips attempt to help you be the Dr. Peter Venkamp of phantom trademark refusals. Again, I had to do it. Sorry for all of you all who haven't watched Ghostbusters, but you better pick it up this Halloween season. So here are some tips. Of course, the safest option is to choose a trademark with no phantom elements select a trademark that represents your brand but does so without needing amending or changing over time. And that's why I generally recommend filing design trademarks in black and white. And that way you can actually use the trademark design in different colors over time without the need of filing a new trademark application. Now, another tip is if you really, really need that changeable element within your trademark, make sure that that phantom element is readily identifiable from the context of the trademark. So the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board recently denied registration to a company trying to register the marks NP, blank space, blank space, blank space, and SL, blank space, blank space, blank space. So in those blank spaces, you can kind of enter whatever you want to. So those blank spaces again are where those variable number combinations would, would appear. So the board found that, and that's the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board again, found that because the trademark's possible range of meanings is not readily clear from that context, that that applicant seeking to register multiple marks and the public cannot predict what marks will be covered by any resulting registrations. And the board held that the missing numbers or those missing elements could potentially represent numbers in a series of products, different versions of the product, or some other physical characteristic. If it's unclear from the unchanging portion of your trademark what that phantom element refers to, that's a red flag for a possible phantom trademark refusal. So watch out for that. Now, another tip, be sure that that changeable element is limited in its scope of possibilities. In the famous case of dial a mattress operating core, well, at least it's famous in my world, the applicant attempted to register a three-number phantom sequence in a phone number. There, the court held that because the possibilities of number sequences were finitely and manageably limited, the phantom sequence was registrable. Not to mention that what the phantom element represented was readily identifiable from the context of the trademark. So it was a 1-800 number and it was readily identifiable that it would be a limited three-digit number. Now another tip, don't claim the phantom element as a part of the mark. So for design marks, the phantom element cannot be an integral element to the trademark so way back in june 2017 a trademark applicant sought to register a design of the university of miami ibis mascot wearing a hat and a blank sweater and the examining attorney there alleged that the sweater operates as a blank slate for whatever additional elements the applicant in its sole discretion sees fit to include And applicant stated that he sometimes placed University of Miami, Miami, or U of Miami, among a few others, on the sweater. And the applicant argued that, like the dial-a-mattress case I talked about a minute ago, the combination of what to put on the sweater was limited. The Trademark Trial and Appeals Board held that the test for a phantom design element is whether or not the changeable element of the design is an integral element to the applicant's mark, and found in this situation that that wording put on the sweater was not. So because the applicant did not apply to register a series of trademarks, and because the lettering on the specimen wasn't generic, but rather independent indicators of source, and because the applicant did not claim rights to those literal elements, the board found that the applicant did not seek to register a phantom or multiple trademarks. So what we learned here is that if you have a design mark and you wanna add a star for every year, you've been sober, you know, a little chick feet for every Grammy you win, or leave a portion of the design blank to put an initial or a monogram, then you're probably gonna be in the clear as long as the design itself can stand alone as a distinctive trademark. So your final tip here is just avoid trademark mutilation. Yeah, I know it sounds brutal and the Trademark Trial and Appeals Board at the USPTO views that as such. Mark mutilation occurs when a portion of the composite mark is severed and the applicant attempts to register only that severed portion. So for example, the examining attorney in that Miami case I just discussed claimed that the applicant had mutilated the ibis, yikes, (laughs) by severing the accompanying logo and stripes on the sweater and attempting to register the trademark without it. So there the trademark trial and appeals board disagreed and pointed to several examples of trademarks. Allowed to register without some portion of the specimen, including a monster truck design without the accompanying Jurassic Attack logo that appeared in the specimen submitted. So the key is to determine whether your trademark assigned from those changeable elements or that changeable element has a distinct commercial impression on its own. And the board in the Miami case held that the Ibis did. Now, as we all know, these analyses are highly subjective and up to the discretion of the examining attorney at the USPTO. However, including these ghost-busting tools in your arsenal can greatly reduce the possibility of a phantom refusal. So if you have any questions about whether or not maybe your mark that you're interested in filing could be subject to a phantom refusal, feel free to reach out to me. You can just shoot me an email at Suzy, and that's S-U-Z-I, at theprivatelabellawyer.com with your proton pack, and I'll be sure to get back with you as soon as possible. And of course, I want to give a big shout out to Bethany Patty who helped me write, and prepare this really fun content for this Halloween season. And finally, have a fun and safe and happy Halloween. That's all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, never stop learning. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur, and thankfully, like us, the laws are ever-evolving.